Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Podcast episode thirty-two, mate. And how are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Gary, thanks very much yourself. Yeah, I'm. I'm very well. I'm very well. Uh, all right. So I'll, I'll let you take it away, mate. Um, in regards yeah. to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we've got um two very, very, very special guests that we've got. We're going to be discussing the um Azim Rafiq story and the the racism row that seems to have embroiled cricket at the moment. Um. Yeah, obviously, you know, it's something that we felt that we needed to talk about as podcast. So, um, first of all, friend of the show, we've got Sat Rafiq back. Sat, how are we doing? Oh, hello, everyone. Yeah, hello, hello lads. Really well, thank you. Um, and it's always a pleasure to see you both and, and, and contribute the bits that I do to, to your podcast. And really, congratulations on its growth and, and what you're doing. So, it's always a pleasure. Oh, thank, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. And from the uh, the County Cricket Podcast, we've got Lucy Reese. Lucy, how's it going? Yeah, really good, thanks. Really looking forward to getting involved. Yeah, uh, it should be fun. Well, we say it should be fun. It's a very, very serious um, subject we're going to be talking about. So I'm going to um, basically do a little bit of a timeline regarding the whole saga, really. I mean, you know, Azim Rafiq, who I think is one of the bravest men ever to come out of, of cricket, to be totally honest with you. You know, a Yorkshire cricketer, um spin bowler he was at yorkshire twice in his career and then left in 2018 now in 2018 he makes allegations of an institutional racism against the club during both of his spells there so this is between 2008 and 2012 and 2016 2018 um lucy will go this for you do you think this should have been cited pretty much straight away instead of it taking a year down the line yeah definitely um I don't like the way Yorkshire have gone about things either, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think definitely it should have come out sooner, but obviously it was down to him. Um, so I don't know what the difference, time difference was when he actually made the allegations to the whole report situation. But yeah, I feel like it has dragged on, definitely. It, it dragged on for a year, Sam. I'm going to bring you into this. It drags on for a year. And then um, after holding a review to the matter, the club accepts there is no question that Rafiq was the victim of racial harassment and bullying. It reports seven of the 40 allegations made by him, with some not being upheld on grounds of insufficient evidence. Now, Sack, obviously, yourself, um, you know, you're an ex-cricketer as well, weren't you? Um, I am, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what was your, what's your first reaction to that there then where only seven out of his 40 claims were upheld? Do you think Yorkshire have just tried to sweep us under the carpet? Well, I, the... We've got to remember that the report was independent, mm. you know, and so, you know, not being privy to all the evidence, it, it puts us, you know, in a difficult position to, to, to know what was true, what wasn't. What we're going on is 
what I'm going on is the statement that Yorkshire released that said, this is what the report has found and this is what we're sharing. Because uh, there was quite a lot that couldn't be substantiated for whatever reason by the independent body who looked into it. So I think it would be incorrect for me to say everything that Azim Rafiq had said had happened. But what was in the report is bad enough. Yeah. Never mind the bits that were left out or couldn't be substantiated. And remember, this was you know a legal process. So, you know, it was... If we just take cricket out of it, it was somebody at work who was the victim of racial discrimination and bullying. And then you add the cricket element into all that and the culture and so on, which I'm sure Lucy can, can add to that as well. But what is in the report that can and has been proven is disgusting, abhorrent. You know, and I think what has come out is that is awful and disgusting, but it's what happened next. It's the lack of uh, accountability that Yorkshire Cricket Club felt um, was on them. It was yeah. almost... A, and that gap that Lucy was talking about, how they handled it, there's two things here. There's what actually happened to Azim Rafiq, what was then proven, and then the, the, res, the response from Yorkshire Cricket Club. For me, that, you know, those th the three different things that are all connected somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that um, answers your, I think, your your point. But there is, it's important to share, I think, that a lot of it, a lot of Azeem's um, testimony, they couldn't find the evidence for. And it would be wrong for me to say, yes, yeah. it did happen, no, it didn't. We don't yeah. know. Fair comment. Yep, fair comment. So we'll fast forward to a month later, uh, Lucy. Um, Rafiq was, receives a copy of the redacted report. Yorkshire says its own internal investigation concluded that there is no conduct or action taken by any of its employees, players or executives that warrants dis disciplinary action. Rafiq hits back describing them as embarrassing and include, in, accuses the club of having shown racism green light. Do, do you agree with that? Have, have Yorkshire basically just spent a year showing that racism is allowed in Yorkshire Cricket Club? Um, I wouldn't say more of allowed. I saw they just kind of brushed it under the rug, so I don't really think they've gone, oh, yeah, it's okay to do this. But I think they've just gone, oh, there's more important things going on. Is that the one that they released as well on the day of the test match when it was cancelled? Yes. Yeah, I thought that was very disgraceful as well. I thought um, Azim Rafiq deserved more than that, to be honest. Mm. Um, he raised, obviously, such so much allegations and stuff. Um, for them to just pop that out on Twitter in between everyone else kicking off about a test match that's cancelled the day of the test, mm. where all these fans, even journalists, everyone basically, even players, kicking off about saying, oh, you know, we've booked this away and they've cancelled it on the morning of. And then for Yorkshire to just go, oh, by the way, in between all this flooding of Twitter and cricket, here's the report, like, information. Yeah. I thought that was very disrespectful. Do you think that the kind of thought once that test match, because obviously it was uh, through COVID, wasn't it, but that the test got cancelled? Um, do you think what the thought are, they actually saw a good little bit of, of marketing there, we'll try and release this and not, no one will say anything about it? Yeah, I think so. So then if people did say and look at it the next day, um, there wouldn't have been a massive, oh, Yorkshire have said this. It was more of, oh, this test match has been cancelled. By the way, Yorkshire have said this as well. Um, I feel like it needed its own day to come out. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Zach, next question for yourself um, with this. I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask the part of me, I'll ask you the same question. Because um, the England and Wales Cricket Board said that they would look at, look into it as part of, their own, as part of their own investigation. But kind of the same question going back to Yorkshire giving racism the green light. I mean, what would be your reaction to that? You know, obviously being a cricketer yourself, and obviously you know of, of, of things that you, what you've uh, you've had to experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, and and I, I think it's that if once they knew what the report contained, it was a matter of them um, either trying to hide it or not approach it and and say actually we did anything wrong. So some of the things that were proven was. Before 2012, a former coach regularly used racist language. Now, if, if, if you were that arrogant enough as a club to think, well, actually, 
that's not such a big deal. We can, you know, we can work through this. It's not going to cause too many ripple effects. We'll put it out, you know, when people aren't really focused on it. And, you know, none of us, you know, need to feel that we're accountable for anything that happened. That's the shocking part. I think that's what really angered not just people from a South Asian background, but everybody. It's like, well, as an organisation, you can't just bury your head in the sand with what has happened and then not hold people who were in leadership positions at the club or who were named. And we remember, we didn't know who were named till later on. But for for an organisation to think, well, actually, we can bring this under the carpet and it will blow over, well, that was a, a complete lack of foresight, leadership, whatever you want to call it, arrogance. And I, I think that word has been used quite a lot in relation to their response, just as Lucy was talking, you know, deciding, let's put it out, you know, let's try and hide it, let's try and bury it. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the bit. Above what Azim shared, above what we now know, it was the anger that a lot of people felt that here's an organisation who don't see the severity of what is coming out. Yeah. Whether it was arrogance, yeah, or or something else, fear, Mm. don't know. Gary, I'll ask you this one as a, as a human perspective, though. Let, that, let's put you in, in Azam Rafiq's shoes. Let's not, please, let's say maybe not, not a racism thing, but say you were getting bullied at work. You put a complaint in when you've left that work company, you know, and then a year down the line after all, you know, the, the stuff that you've gone through. And, you know, and, and I would imagine Azim Rafiq's been through a fair fair bit of, you know, turmoil even since he, he accused Yorkshire of all this. But, and then for it to come back that, well, there's not sufficient evidence, there's not this. And basically, a, t- a club or your company have tried to brush this under the carpet. I mean, how is that going to make you feel as a human? You know, put a human perspective onto this one. Well, in fairness, I've, like, uh, you're mentioning, obviously, that the workplace, like, in a previous job, I've actually been in that position where I've been, like, bullied in my workplace and, you know, it, it forced me to ultimately take sick leave because it wasn't good for my mental health. Um, I wasn't in a good place at all in, in regards to my job and, you know, the way that personally made me feel, um, just it made me, it, like, thinking about it now, like, actually talking about the experiences and stuff, like, like just remembering, like, I remember I had, I had my mum in my car once and um, I was driving and all of a sudden just broke down in absolute tears and because of the mental thoughts and the pressures of, of going to work knowing that you're going to be treated unfairly um was just mentally just like too too much for us um i i, I couldn't do the i didn't feel like it's some somewhere i wanted to be personally in regards to that role um you know i knew i was being bullied in the workplace and you know i, I made notes of it i raised investigations um you know i, I took it to hr um and effectively it was brushed under the carpet there was a lot of dodgy stuff going on in that workplace um which i didn't think was right um obviously i can't mention the workplace that it was but um you know it was ultimately brushed under the carpet i had two appeals knocked back um if i if i was part of a trade union rep at that time i imagine it would have went a lot further and i think in all honesty and hindsight they knew that they were in the wrong because at one point they turned around to me and they asked me what is it the what is it that they can do to resolve this um mm. as if like i was looking for something from them i wasn't i was i was in a in a bad place like i i'd left the job which i actually i loved um because it wasn't great for my mental health and you know Azim uh, Rafi probably felt exactly the same in ways. You know, every day he was going into training, knowing he was going to be subjected to bullying, harassment, abuse, and you know, from the mental aspect of things, it's it, it's it's mentally destroying. Like you, you you don't how your brain comprehends it. It's like it's two totally different things from physically doing it, um, mm-hmm. and it's the thoughts in your head which like really hurt a lot more than. You know, sometimes the physical aspect of it, because you're thinking, you're preparing yourself mentally for this kind of abuse. And, like, you know, some of the stuff, like, before we started recording this, some of the stuff that I talked about before is, like, hearing the stuff about, you know, getting wine poured down his neck. Like, 
it's disgraceful. Like it's absolutely disgraceful. Like that he was subjected to that kind of treatment, and it's it's disgraceful that you know that he's not the only one that is. Like in many different formats, this happens, and it's mm. just like mentally, it's just disgraceful. Like there's not enough being done about it, and you know, as we've said, a lot gets pushed under the carpet in a lot of different areas. Yeah, we'll we'll move on further down the timeline in, in a minute. I'm, I want to ask um, Lucy and Sap uh, both of you this this question. Um, kind of like not to play devil's advocate as much, but Rafik's gone back to Yorkshire. You know, he's he's obviously had two spells there, and he said in both of his spells he's been a victim of racism. Why is he? My question, kind of, how, why hasn't he said it earlier, and why has he gone back to Yorkshire if he knew it was that bad? This is for both of you guys, really. We'll let Lucy go first. Um. I'm not really sure, but I feel like um, with a lot of things coming out lately with racism, I feel like maybe he just wanted to wait. I don't know if he always had plans to bring it out or if it was just something that was like normal back in the day, whatever. Um, like, if you know what I mean, not normal, normal, but it's kind of something that happens. And no, people, I know, I know exactly obviously, it shouldn't be, but exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So it's just kind of something he just that maybe he just took on the chin as most people probably would, um, and then going back, um, I don't really know. Maybe maybe a money element or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, feeding his family or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that kind of the same question as you as well. But do you think? I think Lucy brought up a really good point there because obviously, you know, in in his early stages of career, I suppose you know he's he's a young lad and they kind of see it as uh, inverted banter. And then later on in, in his life where he's got older, he's got wiser, he's got, you know, kind of, you know, more kind of done more research and got more intelligent in, in regards to, hang on, this isn't right. So do you think it's more more that kind of thing? Absolutely. I, I think Lucy touched on both the points that I was going to raise, actually. So number one, it's his job. And, mm. you know, and again, it's cricket and you're a professional cricketer and he... he grew up in Yorkshire and Yorkshire was his club and so there is that obviously and then I can see the point why are you walking back into the fire if it was that bad and absolutely I can understand why people would say that so number one he needs a job and if Yorkshire were offering him a contract that's number one number two and it's I think you both touched on it when you experience that kind of banter language it's almost as if you either take it or you don't and by don't it means you leave mm. so it you know me being a professional cricketer me and now i'm trying to put myself into azim's shoes here You're right i, I want to be a professional cricketer uh, you know this is what i get paid for it's been my dream it's been my ambition um, remember, he's played for England as as, as a, a as an you know under nineteen. So and I've got to feed my family. And cricket uh, Yorkshire offering me a contract again, so I'll head back there. So there's there's that that familiarity. Then there's the other side, the human side, where Gary eloquently shared his experiences, and that was enough for him to do something about it. When you are faced with the things that. Azim has done it's almost like you let them happen you because it's so normalized because it's part of the journey that he's been on it just becomes normal up to a point and he has shared that there was a there was the final trigger was how he was treated after um, he, you know he sadly lost uh, his son and how he was treated there was the tipping point for him now, that's a broader conversation about, you know, for some people, their lived experience is that they face this type of language, this type of behaviour, more often than not. It becomes normal. Not for me in particular, but for, for others, it's, well, that's part of the process. You know, I've got to either learn to live with it or lump it. Now, he decided not to lump it, and that's and where you use the word brave he decided to take a different path where a lot before him haven't mm -hmm. which is hold those people to account 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it has it has opened the it has opened the floodgates. I mean, it's it's a really really massive, you know, massive thing in the in in cricket, and it's blown open so many like so many so many gates really where. I think personally, the ECB needs to have a really, really good think about themselves as a whole of how they've actually how they've dealt with this. Because um, obviously, went in front of the select committee, and obviously we've we've heard some comments. Obviously, Gary Balance, Lucy, he came out. I think he was the first one to come out and said, "Look, I've I've I have said these things to him, but you know, we were close friends. We've said these things about each other in banter. But first of all, I mean, Gary Balance for me." was one of the last people I think would, would come out and say anything like Gary Balance to me is a very you know, it looks as if he's keeps himself to himself, you know, he's 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 been off with mental health himself. Um, you know, I think he took a break, might have took two breaks actually due to mental health and all that. So was it a surprise to you to see someone like Gary Balance who apparently is is Rafik's very, very close friend to come out and say, Yeah, it, it it's me who has been making these slurs. Yeah, honestly, I thought um, it would all stay quiet, apart from like with all the players who had been accused and stuff. Um, to see him come forward, um, mind you, when he did come forward, it wasn't really, I've done this. It was kind of, I've done this, but this has happened to me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then obviously the whole story with like Alex Hales getting involved as well when um, Azimovic spoke in front of the um, committee. So yeah, it's a very interesting one. Yeah, yeah, and 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 sadly. The biggest one for me is Michael Vaughan. Um, obviously, he has he's rejected it three times. I think he's he's come out and said that he apologises if um, Azim Rafiq has suffered racist abuse. But from what has been gathered, he's been saying you know things like you guys you you get changed over there and things like that. But this is at a time a man who is the captain of this county. You know he has to lead by example. You know he is the the, the leader of the group. You know, and for him to say anything like that, I mean, it's it's deplorable, isn't it? Yeah, and but again, it, it's you know, from us looking outside, things like that have not been proven. Mm. You know, and so uh, again, it, it's it's difficult for me to re, you know to, to go either way. What Azim Rafiq says is that people would use that language, and because it was so normal, they wouldn't uh, it wouldn't register that that's what they were doing. Now, whether that is true or not, because it would surprise me, somebody like Michael Vaughan, um, in his position, might do something like that. But then you've got to go to the culture that's at the clubs. Mm-hmm. And if it's normalised, if, if language like that is normalised and it's normal and it rolls off the tongue, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it's difficult to know mm-hmm. exactly if he had said it or not. But when you look at the culture as a whole, I'd be surprised if he if he was the one... Well, actually... Let, sorry, I want to change it a little bit, Ant. If, yeah, he's, the leader that, if he's the leader uh, that I hope he is, why didn't he do anything to stop the language or what was going on at the club in his time there? Yeah, and this was the question I'm, I'm going to ask Gary now because obviously Gary's come out and he's bravely said, you know, he's been a victim of bullying at work and everything like that. Now, um, you know, I, I've obviously known Gary for a long, long time. Now, Gary, would you have spe- expected your manager, you know, as as we're talking now with with what what Sasha just said there, Michael Vaughan is supposed to be the leader of this club. Your manager was supposed to manage your team. You know, would you have expected your manager to come in and immediately put a stop to this? I would have said in any other circumstances, yes, but the, the in my situation, in my personal situation, the bullying was coming directly from the manager. So right. that put me in a position of basically the way I felt was there was no return. I couldn't work with this person because if I try to stand up for myself, that person is ultimately going to look for a way to either weed me out, bully me out, to the point where it's mm. mentally going to affect my health to the fact that maybe I don't want to be here no more. Um, which was, like, the, the way it made me feel, like, I felt like, you know, I had allies in my role, but then ultimately did I really have those allies once I'd left? No, I didn't. I was completely on my own. and uh, No one really understood how, like, I had felt in my situation. Um, so, you know, you, in nine times out of ten, you would expect your manager to go, 
like this can't go on you kind of talk to this person this way and vice versa but when it's effectively coming from the highest person i i, I just to me I, I didn't feel like there was there was a way for me to continue in my role in that job because i was always going to be even if things got brushed under the carpet i was always going to be you know the fall guy for whatever would have happened regardless of whether or not i was in the right or even in the wrong um mm. so ultimately yes you do expect you know the highest person to do something about it you know what yeah you expect company executives to do stuff about it as well you know hr representatives especially when you can provide evidence of you know the stuff that well personally i've been through i've provided evidence of what's actually happened you know azim rafiq has provided evidence of things that have happened to him you expect someone to actually listen and you know stand up and you expect those people to take accountability especially if it's really happened yeah yeah t- totally agree so we'll we'll move a little bit further on down down the line then obviously we've mentioned michael Fall, mentioned gary balanced and but a lot of more players now have, have come forward i mean um i think a guy at, at essex i think there's been a couple of guys at essex have said that they've had uh you know they've had racism they've had racism in, in their in their experiences there um uh, the guy in scotland and his name does escape me i think it's is it hack who yeah. and he's he said that the scottish cricket system is institutionally racist i mean lucy will go to you do, do you think this is just it, it's your, the yorkshire kind of thing the whole thing with Aston Vic is just the tip of the iceberg and we're going to find out a lot more uh, very distressing things the, the you know the further we investigate it yeah absolutely i think um azim rafiq's done everyone a favor really um just to show that it's you know it's all right to come out and tell your story really mm. um i think if he didn't come forward i think no one would have really um or if the first person to come forward would have had a big story like rafiq so yeah i think these these other stories coming about i think there's a lot more to come about from this yeah, and and Zach, do you think that obviously with the social media that we've got at the moment, I mean, um, if you listen to mine and Gary's podcast, I mean, we the, the amount of times we were on about our well, sexism's racism up the head this time, racism racism up the head as it did in the World Cup. Um, do you think it's harder now for players to come forward with what social media is at the moment? Well, I, I think you touched on it I'm right at the beginning. It's that bravery because mm. you know what's coming. You know what's yeah. going to come if you say. Uh, especially, you know, whether it's, you know, whether what Gary was talking about or if, you know, um, we had a black, you know, the experiences of black people, not just in sport, but in society and the way that women are treated in work and out and in society. And that element of bravery, you've got to take that first step. And absolutely, social media does would be a reason not to do it but actually it can be one of your uh, strongest weapons in your armory to get your story out mm-hmm. and i wouldn't have known about the azim case without the work i think it was um it was a radio uh, a cricket podcaster who really kept uh, sharing where azim was on his journey in relation yeah. to and it and that's you know that's the power of social media there but then you know, he knew the backlash that was going to come at him from every angle. And and some of it rightly, the things that came out after about, you know, a tweet that he had done himself. But yeah, so in this example, and I think social media can help if, if, if you feel that you are right and you have been a victim and it's been proven, but also the backlash that you're going to get because yeah. of what you've raised. It, it, it's like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll go on to about, um, you know, obviously yeah. the, the tweet that, that Azim had said. Um, obviously, um, it was something about, around about um, anti-Semitism, wasn't it? He was he, he was sent, a, sent an image um, of an exchange from early 2011. Now, he was 19 at the time. It does make an excuse, you know, but he's a young lad, you know. Um, he was, he says, I'm, I'm incredibly angry at myself. And I apologise to the Jewish community and everyone who's rightly offended by this. Now, Lucy, we've had... He's not the first um, cricketer, really, to have his, his Twitter dug up. Because, obviously, um, I think it was Ollie Robinson, wasn't it? The uh, the guy who came in and did so well in the summer tests. 
But he played, I think it was the first day of the first test. He's he's gone and took some wickets. And then some history of his tweets had been dug up and he was only a, a young lad by, by then. And I'm not making an excuse for it because obviously, you know, he still shouldn't be saying it. But the fact that both of these guys have apologised, um, you know, they're now in the 30s, you know, I think given the time back, they wouldn't have said it. So... What do you think about that, people, you know, digging into people's history to try and get something back? Because that's what I think, that's what's happened. Someone's been trying to get something back, as Ian Rafi, because he's come out and accused, you know, Yorkshire of racism and everything like that. They've dug, they've dug through his past, found this, said, well, you all know better, you know. But surely, you know, given over time, he would, if he would have that time back, he wouldn't have said it, you know what I mean by that? Yeah, um, so I remember when it did come out, um, everyone was going, oh, this Ollie Robinson's a racist and stuff. Um, but And then a lot more came out from other counties going, oh, so-and-so said this as well. I think they were brought something up about, um, who was it? I think it was Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson going on about um, some woman. Um, but that's what I mean. So like like I was saying earlier, it was normal type thing. Obviously, it wouldn't be now. Um, so something classed racism, sorry, something classed that was racist back in 2010 technically wouldn't have oh sorry something classed racism now um might not have been in 2010 yeah um and i think that's what people aren't understanding why when ollie robinson was saying these things it might have just been part of normal part like it probably wasn't racism or whatever at all um but now obviously with times changing and stuff it now is and i think people need to understand that when they do go rummaging back on stuff on twitter like i put something up i don't know three weeks ago about something it was like um what role do you play in your family? And it was like, oh, you know, I'm the black sheep. I'm the odd one out. Mm. Who knows? Ten years time, that could be classed as something else. So, you know, you just got to think really, but then think again the way that it is probably wasn't at the time. Yeah, yeah, Gary, I'll ask you. This was, I think, this brings up a really, really good point. There, times have changed, haven't they? You know, you can't. There's things that were. You know, I mean, there was comedians who got off the back of, you know, being sexist, so to speak. You know what I mean? And and that is as rightfully being ironed out now. So you know, things that was seemed as as banter, as what, what the kind of word has been, especially with Gary Barnes and everything like that, isn't isn't really allowed now. You know what I mean? And and I think that's that's a really really good point that Lucy's made. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, and you've mentioned that their comedians have got away in the past with, you know, sexist remarks. Um, you know, we're we're living in an era now where, you know, such as you know, sexist remarks, Black Lives Matter, like everything, you know, like there's there's a big emphasis on it. But where was that emphasis ten, fifteen, twenty years ago? Like mm. that should have been there long before the last two years. It shouldn't have really needed a pandemic where someone had died in America to, for example, to bring up Black Lives Matter. That should have been that should have happened years and years ago. You know that shouldn't have been something very recently. Um, you know we we talk about sexism in sport as well. Like again, something that shouldn't really just be coming around in the last year or two. It should have been something we addressed twenty years ago. Um, you know, there's you t- you take programs. Uh, one example, the In Between Us. If that program was on in this day and age now, would it get away with most of the jokes that are out there? Probably not. You know, it it's very very difficult to to kind of like justify that kind of like behaviour now in in a, in a this 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 community now, um, which is you know like that's just like the way it is. But that should have been dealt with like things like that should have been dealt with years and years ago. Yeah, yeah. Two, two. Uh, one question for our two cricket guests would be: um, Do you think that the ECB is null and void now, and cricket needs to go back and start from the beginning? Well, Saki, you can ask that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for, for Lucy to go first. Yeah. Um, do they have to go back to the beginning? Now, uh, I think again, just following on what Gary's talked about there, racism, sexism isn't new. Mm. You know, and and I think that's, I think we're, you know, what Gary was trying to say, it's not a new thing. And if this is an area that has been part of the culture, then absolutely the ECB are a million years behind. Because Azim's lived experiences aren't new. I was not sat there shocked with his statement that he was giving that select committee. 
I'm not shocked when Ebony Redford Brent, the the you know the the, the 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 female cricketer, comes out and says, "Well, I've had racism, all, you know, in cricket all my life." It mm. is not a surprise to people who know who have lived through racism or sexism, uh, etc. But the people who have the power, it's new for them. Yeah. Now, whether they have known it and and uh, have allowed it to happen and not felt they were accountable, going back to Yorkshire. So if we just use Yorkshire as a microcosm of everything that is perhaps, you know, wrong in, in sport with racism, sexism and so on. The ECB, and you could, you could say the same with the FA, you could look at most governing bodies and say they don't have their finger on the pulse. And why cricket should have been any different, and cricket as a sport... You know, with its, uh, how to frame this, its colonial past, the history of cricket, you know, Britain taking cricket across uh, across the Commonwealth and then those players playing cricket in this country and, you know, the ECB was made up of, again, white, middle-class, older gentlemen who you know, viewed the world in a particular way, yes, they are having to start from ground zero. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's not just cricket, to be fair. You know, we can... I can make that the case for lots of different organisations and not just racism. Yeah, yeah. Lucy, same question, really. Yeah, I think um, people need to go and have a look at their, like, dressing room culture um and stuff that's going on um obviously that the public don't see um but it goes back to my point earlier of take the cricket aside um and you this would be so much bigger i think if it was away from sport um like gary was saying about his workplace mm. um you know he, he up and left in the end um whereas if you had a really good successful cricket career you probably wouldn't do that you'd probably just take it on the chin and I think that's what the ECB don't understand. A lot of the staff, you know, they're not play. They're not players. They they haven't played um, apart from the coaches and stuff. Um, but the people higher up actually dealing with this. I think they really need to have a look at that. Yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think the the need to bring in someone from the ECB who has played, done cricket, and you know, bred and bled cricket. You know what I mean? Um, you know. Maybe not, maybe not someone, maybe possibly, I see with someone like him who's had this, who's had to bring this up, but then can can give you a kind of an example of, right, that's wrong, you know, and I think it might need it, it's something like that. I, I definitely need, think that they need a few more ex cricketers on the on the board and not just, you know, the, the boyos, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like Ian Watmore, who's recently left, like Ian Watmore is a really, really, really good person, you know, I've I, I known Ian Watmore relatively well. You know, but he's not a cricketer. You know, he's a foot. He's a football. His son's a footballer. You know, so you know he's not really. He's he's gone into a job. So he was at the FA. So he's gone from one job to another. Where, you know, he's for me, he wasn't fit for that. You know, I would I would like to say maybe someone like Andrew Strauss given a really big job up there. You know, because I think Andrew Strauss is a really good guy who can can who can um, you know maybe polish a few turds to be totally honest with you um and, and can i just make a point Anne? And, and, and it, it, it's something what what, what it, you something what you've said has triggered me and, and what gary said at, at the beginning about mental health and so on if you're a if, if you're in a high performance world like professional cricket or ecb and you know your aim is to get as many people playing cricket to reach the very top and play for the country and win win awards and so on, mm -hmm. all right? And, and win World Cups. And, and with Gary's point about when somebody does not feel part of that system, it does begin to affect their mental health, their psychological well-being. And that's the area that I, I work in, yeah. you know. It, I just can't fathom why you would put a player in that situation when actually what you've hired them to do is to be at their best at the mm -hmm. thing that they're quite good at. And it's like, well, you know, Gary touched on it. The, the, the psychological effect of being discriminated against, bullying, racism, 
and what that can do to an individual and i know that's the work that i do and the downward spiral you can't focus on getting your wickets on you well you might do but you spend all your energy trying to dodge the bullets of racism or mm. sexism but then you've got to go out and perform for these people and it's you know i think something that you were saying the ecb the people at the top if they want to grow the game if they want to make sure that every single player who has ability gets to produce that day in day out why are you letting this happen yeah i just from a elite sport perspective look after look after your people mm. anyway sorry no, no, I think... It's got to be soapbox there, man. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's fair enough. That's what we're here for, mate. That's what we're here for. Um, yeah, I mean, I do want to shift topics to the Ashes because, you know, it's it's quite close now. You know, we're in December. Um, you know, England going in as, as underdogs, I think. Um, but, I mean, to be fair, Australia haven't had the best times at the moment. Obviously, there's a little bit of a... One of their, their their captain has been a very naughty boy, you know, sending texts to um, a female member of his staff. But I just want to go on on the cricketing on the cricketing point of view first, Lucy. Um, obviously, England never do that well over in Australia, I and mean, normally it's normally it's a whitewash. But do you think that the squad that's there, obviously Ben Stokes is back, which is which is great. I mean, when we first had Sap on, was the day Ben Stokes took his break. From international form, all forms of cricket. Now he's back. So, you know, basically, what do you think? What What are you expecting from England? There, do you think they'll get absolutely hammered, or do you think they'll put up a fight? I think. Um, can I just go back to Ben Stokes a minute? So when he when he came yeah. back, um, when he obviously announced he was coming back, I saw a lot of mixed opinions on Twitter going, "Oh, you know, he's he's only just taking time off, or he's only just coming back for the Ashes." I think mental health as a whole, you can take when you want and what you want. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, you're in charge. So I think as, you can take as much time or as little time as you want. Um, and to see him back, I think obviously it brings a big morale to the fans and the players in his team. Um, I saw a lot of people going, "Oh, he's gone." Well, I was one myself as well. He said, um, "He's gone from five nil to nil five now." The scores. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, I think we'll definitely see something from him. Hopefully, in the games. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing him back, and I'm glad he's back as well. Yeah, so just a question for you again, just on on the on the form kind of thing. I don't think it'll be as because everyone's saying Australia going to run, run away with it, and England are quite heavy odds to win it. I mean, I, I don't think if you look at both sides, yes, I know it's in Australia. Yes, they're using the Kookaburra balls, which James Anderson won't be able to swing as well. Or oh, England have got Mark Wood in there who can bowl missiles. You know, Ben Stokes out on his day is one of the best bowlers in the world. Not, never mind one of the best batters in the world. I mean, I think it's quite even, to be honest. I think it'll be a very, very interesting um, few tests coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think it's going to be more competitive than than I think what, what people are perceiving at the moment. I think there's so much going on, and that the... The Ashes series has, has not been, you know, normally it would be everywhere, the build-up. Yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. And I think because of just what's going on um, in terms of away from cricket, what we're all working through still, plus the things that have happened in relation to the ECB and where they are, I think everything is being downplayed a little bit in, you know, past experiences of Ashes. You know, if there were cricketers on the TV, there was interviews. And I think it's all just being calmed down a little bit because they know there's these other things going on. I, for one, can't wait to, for the series to get started so we yeah. can actually focus on cricket being cricket at its absolute best and what we love about it and the best players being picked for you know to, to win the Ashes in Australia. But I just get this sense everything is a little bit downplayed because of, on the Australian side, you know, their culture isn't... You know, go back a few years and you've got bullying, you've got cheating, you've got X, Y, and Z. Then you've got this coming out. So I don't think cricket as a sport is in a great place. But I am, fingers crossed, hoping that, you know, come a a month's time, we're all behind the England team in Australia because that is a real test. You know, winning in Australia is, is, is a real test of any, you know, whether it's cricket whether it's rugby um it's a real test i just i'm looking forward to it but i do feel it's all just being 
downplayed a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you actually. Yeah, because you don't, you haven't heard much. The only, the only kind of build that we've had is being about on the Australian side of you know Tim Payne being a naughty boy, and on our side about the whole racism and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think anyone's mentioned that there was, there's been warm-up games, which there wasn't much of one because it's actually rained in Australia for once, <laughs> so we haven't been able to get a good a good view of it. But we'll have we'll have a quick prediction from you both of um of what you think the series will, will end up. So I'm going to put you both on the spot, Lucy. You can go first. Um, I think we will win. Two, and I think Australia will. I think there'll be a draw in there as well. One draw. Right. So you think um, Australia will retain the Ashes by um, by two two and a draw? Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, cool, cool. Sat, we'll go over you for that one. Oh, I'm not gonna put. I'm gonna follow what Lucy's. Lucy, what rides about cricket and so on? But <laughs> I, I was thinking a draw. But then I'd forgotten that a draw meant Australia. So, but I am going I'm gonna go on a draw. Actually, yeah. I'd love to see England, but I think it's that again unpredictable. It, I don't think both teams are in the best place, and so yeah, I'm gonna sit on the fence. I'm afraid I didn't want to, but I am gonna. I I would have been more confident had we taken one more pure fast bowler. And then I would be very, very confident. But I just think the bother is Mark Wood's not going to play all five because he's not, he's got angle problems. He's not fit enough to do that. And uh, then you rely heavily on on Anderson, and it just doesn't work. And I think Australia's bowling attacks a little bit too much for our fragile batting uh, lineup. But the the big, I think the big factor of it is if Ben Stokes is on form or if he isn't. If Ben Stokes is on form, I think England have got a very, very good chance of winning. If he's just, you know, he's not played any cricket for. Neck end of six months, so it's a big, big, big burden to put on his shoulders. And I think, uh, I think England as well, they're relying on route to score runs, Ben Stokes to bring the morale, mm-hmm. um, and then Jimmy and Stewart to bring the ball. But you know, they're getting on their ages now as well, now, aren't they? So they are, they are. And I just think you look at like, I don't know if, if Zampa's in the Australian squad for, for spinning, because I know Lions their main guy, but if they can, if Lions struggles, then they can bring Zampa in, and I think Zampa's a brilliant cricketer. And we, I just don't think we've got that depth yet, so I, I think we'll, I, I don't want to say 2-2 as well, I think we'll lose 4-1. <laughs> this is, uh, I don't want to be like all doom and gloomy, but I think I think we'll win one of them, but I don't, I just can't, I think Australia will, will uh, regain the Ashes, which is I'm not going to end the podcast on that because that's quite sad. <laughs> um, but what we usually do, um, this brings Gary back into back into equation. He's been so so patient as Gary. He's not a massive cricket fan, so um, he's been very patient. Um, what we usually do, obviously, for listeners of this show, we do a baller and baller of the week. Um, Sag, I believe this is the first time we've been able to get you to do one of these. So yeah, you have to explain that. Yeah. So basically, the baller of the week is. A specific sportsman or sports team that have had a very good week, and the ball ache is the total opposite. It is a sportsman or sportswoman or sports team who have had a particularly bad week. So we start off with baller and then we finish with ball ache. So well, what I'll do is to give you guys a little bit of, of an example. I like Gary Gore first with his baller of the week. Yeah, so I think you know, like. England beating Latvia 20-0. <laughs> that was impressive. That was very, very impressive. So, like, that is 100% my baller of the week. But I do obviously just want to, like, mention as well that in the last couple of months, there's been four medical emergencies at football grounds. Um, two tonight, which is ironic. Like, at the Chelsea game and also at the Leicester game, Southampton game, sorry. Um, which is crazy, but, like gotta give a shout out to the like those medical teams you know for for those clubs as well as the nhs because it happened at sunland a couple of weeks ago obviously newcastle um during the spurs game like the medical teams just and even the nhs just don't get enough credit so like i obviously do want to give like a special shout out to them as well as well as the so the are, are they your ballers in the nhs and the staff the medical staff or is it england it's obviously it's the lionesses, you know, twenty nils an insane win against Latvia, but you know, cannot let like the medical teams of you know 
said clubs go go without re- recognition. To be fair for the yeah. job that they do, because I think I think I, stuff like that's just overlooked. I'm gonna go second, so it gives Sack and Lucy a little bit more time to think. And mine is to do with the England lionesses. It's Ellen White for breaking the all-time goal-scoring record that she did last night, overtaking Kelly Smith. Um, Ellen White is an absolutely magnificent striker for England uh, and for Man City. She's just one of the best finishers I've seen. And she actually scored her first goal I scored yesterday. was the first goal I've probably ever seen of her. And I watch women's football quite a lot, score from outside the box. And it was an absolute worldie. So, you know, any time a record gets broken, I think they need mention. So my baller is um, Ellen White for England. Lucy, we'll go to you now. Um, I'd say my baller is um, Hannah Kane with her fans last night um, at where they play um, France last night. Mm. Um, yeah, um, as well as um, where they play Friday, Parker Scarlett's on Friday. Um, you know, she's back from injury and she's you know giving out her boots every time she plays. Um, I think she's absolutely incredible, and inspirational. Um, and then my baller has got to be their loss last night. To be honest, their first loss of the group. Um, so yeah, a bit disappointing, but as I said earlier, it could have been a lot more, so I'm glad. No worries at all. So you've actually gave us in one fell swoop your baller and balling of the week, so we need news you now for balling. <laughs> <laughs> right, Sat, right. we'll start off with your balling there. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's uh, thrown me this one. However, um, I, I'm going to stick to football, I'm going to stick to, I'm, I'm going to, as the baller, I'm going to choose Mason Mount. And the reason is, I saw him at the, um, you know, the the awards that happened this week. And I, I don't know whether he was nominated or he was on the list somewhere. He was there. And it just... I've, I've, I've been following his career and he always comes across such... Like, such the, uh, the loveliest lad. And he knows how to speak with the media and he just comes across so well. And I don't know where he finished. I think everybody gets a ranking, don't they? And I don't know oh, where he was. Mr. Ballandor. Yes. Yeah. And he was whether he was there or he was nominated, there, there was a picture of, of him there. And it just it, it just reminded me of, of what a promising young footballer he is and where he's gonna get to. Yeah. Um and I was I'm, I'm racking my brain about this week and what's been going on, but that just popped into my mind that actually I think we've got a gem there, not just as a footballer but somebody who represents the sport and English football really well moving forward. Did you, you know, see his um, Did you see his, his Twitter video when he got his wisdom teeth taken out? Brilliant. Yes. That was, that was brilliant. so funny, wasn't it? <laughs> it's all of that. And I yeah. think whatever whoever's working with him to project who he is, and when you see him at England, he's always smiling. And it's, mm. the, it's the really lovely side of being a footballer. And I think that's what he projects. Um, so... I'm, I'm going to say him as the baller and a baller just because I really want him to do well and not for any awful reason is Patrick Vieira. And I think he's he's really trying his best at, at Palace. And the reason I've chosen Vieira is because, remember, I, I, I live, I, I live you know, not far from Palace. I've got a lot of Palace fans and they got beat on, on Monday against Newcastle. Um, and it's like... You can see what he's trying to do, and it's that roller coaster that he's on. And whether it's a ball ache or not, I just feel for him at the minute. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. And because he's such a, again, one of my footballing heroes, I used to love him at Arsenal, and I want him to do really well. Um, And it's it's a bit of a bumpy road he's on. Yeah, I think poor um, poor Ahmed, the winger ruler on Twitter, is good, not going to listen to this podcast and be thinking, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there'll, be, there'll, be, there'll be no Christmas card for, for Sack this, this year <laughs> from Ahmed, bless him there. Uh, I will just correct you on, on one point there, just because you said Newcastle beaten was Leeds, because Sorry. Newcastle haven't won all season. So let's no. just mention that. <laughs> let's just mention no, that. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, no worries at all. So, Gary, it's just me and you left because Hannah's gave us the the, the, the Welsh ladies because unfortunately lost to France um, last night, which there's no shame in that, to be totally honest with you, but the score was, wasn't great. And um, Sats mentioned Patrick Vieira, so that leaves them two out. So, we'll go for you for ball eight, mate. I 
think I've got to go with the the result of the male Ballon d'Or. I don't. I feel like Robert Lewandowski should have won that one hundred percent. He has been the most prolific striker, not just this season but last season as well. And I just mm-hmm. feel like Messi hasn't done. Re- Messi is the one of the greatest players ever to live, as is Ronaldo. But I just feel like Lewandowski's performances just go so unnoticed. And he's just an absolute engine for not just Bayern, but like Poland as well. And I just, like what Messi said was like, it was, it was quite complimentary towards him, but you know, he should have won that. Like, and I, I don't think anyone would disagree that Lewandowski should have won that. Um, and Jorginho mm-hmm. being as high as he was over Mo Salah. Um, Jorginho had a brilliant Euros and you know, he's a great penalty taker, but other than that, like he doesn't really contribute much. Whereas Mo Salah, you know, he's he's one of the best players in the world at the moment. I mean, he scored tonight for Liverpool. Like, he's he's in the form of his life. Um, I just, I don't know. I just don't know if I agree with the, like, the, the, the male Ballon d'Or, you know, votes. Yeah, the female one was absolutely spot on, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah she, she scored as well, didn't she, yesterday? Fantastic player. Yeah. Fantastic player. But I actually agree with you. I mean, I don't think what's Lewandowski got left to do to win that, you know, and and I firmly believe he should have won it. Um, I agree with you about Jorginho. I mean, the guys who were, you know, doing the, the votes for the Ballon d'Or obviously didn't watch Manchester United versus Chelsea on Sunday because it was his fault for the goal, for United's goal. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't make him, you know, that doesn't make a bad player overnight in Atlanta because he did, he did show massive balls to, to score the penalty and to actually step up and take the penalty. But, yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Um, I'm going to go football as well for mine. I'm going to go to any Brighton fan who booed Graham Potter and Brighton on Saturday after a nil-nil draw where they did dominate Leeds and they just couldn't score. And these things happen. You know, these things happen. I've been to games where I've seen Sunderland absolutely tear teams apart. I mean, Blackpool on New Year's Eve around about... Uh, this is when Blackpool in the Premier League. This is years ago now. We had 36 shots on goal and didn't score. Blackpool had two and won the game 2-0. It happens. These things happen in football, you know. Brighton, you've just got to remember where you've been, you know, how far you've come under Graham Potter, how far you've come as a club. You can't be booing a draw at home. I'm sorry, like, but you can't. I mean, what are you expecting? What, what are you expecting? And booing, for me, one of the best, brightest young coaches there is in England. It's just madness. So that's 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 for me. And you know, I don't know if we have Brighton fans listening, but if you are and you boo that, then just give you a share because you don't know nothing about football. Like to be honest, I'm gonna I'm gonna end on that one. Actually, we'll we'll, we'll leave it we'll leave it there. Um, I want to thank our guests for coming on. First of all, uh, Lucy from the uh, the County Cricket Podcast. Uh, anyone who does listen to cricket, please give that a listen. I've had a listen to the last couple, and they're very very good. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, really enjoyed it, yeah, definitely. Cheers, you're welcome anytime, by the way. And obviously, our our friend, um, Sakrafiq, thank you so much once again, Orange Ball coach, you know, mental health advocate, absolutely superb, all-round man. Thank you so much for coming on again, Matt. No, thank you, everybody, and thank you, Lucy, as well. Um, it's always a pleasure to be on, and, and you always pick, you know, the topics that people are talking about and want to perhaps get different insights into whether it's racism or anything else. So it's always a pleasure to be on. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. Gary, as always, cheers. And thank you so much. I just want to thank you, actually, for being as brave as what you have been tonight, you know, for mentioning what for what you did. Um, you know, obviously, I've got the plaudits for me gambling stuff, so I think it's only right for me to say that to you. So thank you so much. And cheers, as always, for, for coming on and... Being a great editor of our yeah, podcast. No, absolutely. I mean, that was absolutely totally unscripted. Didn't even plan that. I think it was the question that you pulled out of his aunt there. Obviously, previous like before you'd came on speaking with Sack, um, like about a personal element, and obviously I messaged you and said, "Oh, that's like a really good idea to like input that." Um, totally, totally like on the fly. That that wasn't you know scripted or anything like that. Like just to to obviously compare my personal experience to you know similar scenarios like uh yeah. you know it's, it's hard to talk about it like but you know it, you know if someone's gonna listen to it you know it could help someone else you know sometimes you just you know like you have to like i, I, don't, I don't even know what the words are i'm looking for to be honest but um, no. yeah, I, but no, like no. i said 
credit where credit's due, mate. Um, obviously, uh, next week, I think we're talking to Lucy Ford once again, uh, but we're going to preview the World Darts Championship, so another topic that you don't particularly like, but never mind. <laughs> but, yeah, but thanks, everyone, for coming on, and thanks, everyone, for listening to us once again. We will see you next week. Uh, until then, look after yourselves, look after each other. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.